we're reading this evening from the first letter of John and chapter one and the first four verses. It's entitled, The Incarnation of the Word of Life. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Father, thank you so much that you are a speaking God. Please would you send your Holy Spirit now to help us to understand what we've just read, to delight in it as we should, and to trust you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, If I had to pick one book of the Bible which has most encouraged me over the years... 1 John would be right up there. It is fantastic, and it is crammed full of wonderful gems. And in many ways, that's how a lot of people know 1 John. They know it from its brilliant little one-liners, or or those great verses, like chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's a wonderful verse, isn't it? You just dip into 1 John, you find one of those great little gems And then you move on. Or or chapter 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Again, that's so encouraging, isn't it? It's thrilling. Or famous ones like chapter 4, verse 16. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. There are so many of those sorts of verses, and we are in for a treat, really, as we look at 1 John together. And yet, if I had to pick one book of the Bible which has most discouraged me, 1 John would definitely be it. Uh, As a teenager especially, I really struggled with assurance, doubting that I was saved. And in no small part, it was because of things like 1 John, where it says things like this, chapter 3, verse 9. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. If you read that, well, I certainly read that, and was saying, well, I still sin. I must not be a true Christian then. And it doesn't get much more discouraging than that when you're reading the Bible and coming away going, right, (laughs) I don't know anything. So what is 1 John about? What is it trying to say? Is it trying to get us to doubt ourselves or doubt the Lord? Are we meant to confess our sins and be forgiven? Or actually, are we meant to act as though we don't have anything to confess? (laughs) Because if we were sinners, then maybe we're not real Christians. I think it's that that makes 1 John seem very confusing. When really, 1 John is meant to be incredibly encouraging. Not discouraging, incredibly encouraging. He's writing the letter to be massively reassuring to some Christians who were a bit wobbly. Something had happened 
And now they weren't quite so sure. They weren't quite sure whether they were right or other people were right or if any of them were right. What was true? What was right? Uh, Chapter 2, verse 19 gives us a bit of a glimpse into the situation. If you want to look there. It talks about some people who have left. It says this, They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. So there are some people who have moved on. And this isn't just about people who've decided to go to a different church or or maybe they've had a falling out and they've left, as sad as that is when that happens. But these are people who no longer believe the things they used to. They left theologically before they left physically. And yet those people who went out, who've gone, who've left, they are claiming to be true Christians. In fact, they're claiming to be truer than you lot who've been left behind. 1 John is full of lots of claims, lots of people claiming things. And and so much of the letter is John helping us to test those claims. Okay, if somebody claims this, how do we know whether that's right or not? So next week, in, in, in chapter 1, verse 6, we're going to hear people claim that they have fellowship with God, even though their lives don't match up. They say, no, that claim is false, which is why there are so many warnings about sin. Uh, but they make other claims as well. In verse 8, we'll see next week, they claim to be without sin. That's quite a thing to say, isn't it? To claim they have not sinned, which just shows how much they had broken away from reality. So maybe that's something to do as we start 1 John, maybe at some point this week, have a read through the letter, it's not that long, and look at all the times where he talks about people claiming things or saying things, and you get a bit of an idea of what these people were saying, and the bonkers ideas that they had about Jesus. But we'll get into that as as time goes on, but imagine the effect of all that on the people who had remained, on the people who'd been left. You would hear all these claims, these people, I liked them, I trusted them, they were good people, and they've moved on, and now they're saying they don't sin. They've moved on and said, do you sin? Oh my goodness. Well, you must not be quite right. Well, they go off and they claim, oh, we've got it right and you've got it wrong. And so you start to wonder, have I got it right? Is what they're saying true? Am I really saved? Or, Or do I actually need to go off where they're going? Well, this letter of 1 John is here to reassure us. It's here to debunk all those outlandish claims and set out the basics for us again. In verses like this, chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. So we're not supposed to come away from 1 John and go, ah, have I got it, have I not? No, I'm writing these things. So if you're believing in Jesus... You can know for sure that that's true. That's true. That's how you know that you are true, if you like. That's how you know you're on the right track. So that's my prayer, really, as we look at 1 John, not just tonight, but but in the coming months, that we come away with that encouragement that if we're believing in Jesus, we'd be even more convinced of that, even more confident of our salvation. And if we're not that that would become clear as well, so that we would put our trust in Jesus. That's a bit of an intro into the letter as a whole. We're going to spend the rest of this time looking at the first four verses uh, of the book that uh, Rachel helpfully read for us. 
And in these verses, John is laying out the true message that he taught and that they believed, and then laying out the, the true relationships that that leads to. So first of all, a true message. A true message. What is it that Christians believe? Well, we believe a true message about Jesus. Let's read verse 1 again. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The John who wrote 1 John is the Apostle John. Jesus' uh, best friend, seemingly, who wrote John's gospel. And, and that's why this sounds a bit like John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, all that kind of thing. And just as that book did, John is saying here, he was an eyewitness to the life of Jesus. He literally heard him. We heard him with our ears. He heard what Jesus taught. He heard him chatting over dinner. He heard him ask what time it is and heard him just talk to each other. He actually heard him with his own ears. And it says that he saw him. We don't know what Jesus looked like. John could have picked him out in a crowd. John saw the amazing miracles that Jesus did, as well as all the everyday other things that Jesus did. We're told that he touched him, felt him, sat next to him, like you. maybe you're sitting next to somebody. He felt Jesus with him. He hugged him. He interacted with him in a thousand ways. It says our, our hands have touched him. Maybe he's thinking particularly about after Jesus' resurrection, when uh, Jesus challenged Thomas to come and touch him and feel him, that he really was alive, he wasn't just a ghost or a figment of their imagination. But John is pointing here, isn't he, that he was an eyewitness and an ear witness and a hand witness to all of this. All of the apostles were. When he keeps saying, we've seen this, we've heard this, we there means the apostles, those closest to Jesus the people sent by Jesus to establish his church. He says, we saw him, we heard him, we touched him, and so we proclaim him. We proclaim this true message about him. And that's what makes the good news about Jesus so different, so different to every other religion. It's not a philosophy. It's not an approach. It's not an idea. It is based on events. Events that actually happened. And so it's really important that we stick with that, that we stick with what the apostles taught as they recorded it in the Bible. Because if it was just an idea, then maybe we'd be free to have our own ideas. But no, we believe what they proclaimed because they were proclaiming what they actually saw. They were witnessing to what they witnessed. And so the gospel of the apostles is the true message. As the letter goes on, as I've sort of hinted at, we're going to encounter alternatives about people who, who differ from John, people with funny ideas, people who think that Jesus isn't the Messiah or that, no, he is, but he didn't really come in the flesh. He just seemed to. And John says right from the off, verse 2, no, the life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. 
He really did. He's talking about Jesus there. He gives him those names, those sort of nicknames of the life or the word of life, even eternal life. And that is who he is. Jesus doesn't just bring life. Jesus is life. And he's saying here that this life actually appeared. He was, verse 2 says, he was with the Father in heaven, in eternity past. But on a particular day in history, he appeared in person. He rocked up on planet Earth as a human being like us. And that is so important. It's so important that John keeps saying it, doesn't he, over and over. He appeared, we saw him. We saw him, so we testified to it. We proclaim it, we declare it, we say it, because we saw it. That's what we're teaching, because we saw it. It's a true message. So when we're tempted to wonder, you know, have I really got it right? Am I really saved? Do I know what I'm supposed to believe? Well, well, one of the first tests in the book, if you like, is are we believing the true message of the apostles? Are we believing what is there in the Bible? Have we grasped the facts of life, if you want to put it that way? That Jesus, the life, came in person. That the Son of God came and that by his death, death and resurrection he has brought us life. That's the true message. Are we believing that? Because if we are believing that, then that changes absolutely everything. And that's where John takes it next. He says, that's what we've seen and that's what we've proclaimed, that's what you've believed. And so that changes things. It brings about true relationship or relationships. Let's read verse 3 again. And listen out then for that connection between the message and our relationships. So verse 3, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So we get that, that link that as we believe what they teach, we have fellowship with them. And fellowship with them is fellowship with God himself. Now, none of us have seen Jesus. None of us have seen him with our eyes yet. We will. We haven't seen him with our eyes yet. But John did. The apostles did. And through knowing Jesus, they've got real fellowship with him. They have real fellowship with God the Father and with the Holy Spirit too. We'll see later in the letter. Father, Son, and Spirit. They are friends with God. They have fellowship with him. They're partners with him. They're joined with him. That is the real, true relationship that they enjoy and we get to come in on that as, as they proclaim that true message to us. When we hear that and we accept it, we join that. We join that fellowship. Isn't that great? It's saying that our faith leads to fellowship. Not just with those apostles and, and with Christians through the ages and with one another, although that is really good. Faith leads to fellowship with God. How reassuring is that? There were other people dropping the apostles like a hot rock. They're wanting nothing to do with them. They're ditching their message, disassociating themselves from them. They say, we've moved on from that lot. We have progressed. We have moved on to bigger and better things. But that's not the case, is it? You can't do that. You can disagree with me about all sorts of things. 
and still be a Christian. That's fine. But we can't disagree with the Apostle John when it comes to Jesus and still claim to be saved. By distancing themselves from what the apostles witnessed, they weren't somehow getting closer to God. They were unfellowshipping themselves from God. I don't want anything to do with that message. Well, I'm afraid it's a package deal. You believe that message, you have fellowship with them, and that's the fellowship that has fellowship with God. Now, this is the mistake that many in the modern church are making. They think that they can jettison Jesus' official spokesman, they can ignore, contradict what those apostles said, and still hang on to Jesus. But it doesn't work like that. Or they claim that they've got unity with the wider church, all the while rejecting what the New Testament teaches. doesn't work like that either. As my old teacher David Jackman said, you cannot know fellowship without receiving truth. All true spiritual unity is grounded in the gospel. So, when the world around us moves on, we stay put. When the church around us changes its message, we repeat what we've always said, that true life is found in Jesus. And that following Jesus and his ways, that is what real life is. So we don't worship the Bible, we don't worship the apostles, but we do trust what they tell us about the God we do worship. John makes it clear, doesn't he? He says that their fellowship is fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Well, that sounds like a fellowship I'd like to be part of. Whoever else is on the other side, I want to be with them. And when his readers do that, when his readers hear this and believe this and stick with this, it brings enormous satisfaction to John. See that in verse 4? We write this to make our joy complete. Nothing would make me happier, he says, than, than knowing that you are still with me. Because you're still with Jesus. And again, this wouldn't be about every issue. You wouldn't say if if you don't like the same thing for pudding as I like, then you don't have fellowship with Jesus. No, he's saying these particular really important central truths we need to be agreed on. And if you're doing that, you're still with Jesus. Well, nothing would bring me more joy. And that ought to bring us joy as well, wouldn't it? To, To not just that we are enjoying that fellowship, but to share it with others. And I think that's what it talks about. My joy would be complete. This would be the the cherry on top. This would be the absolute peak of it. When we have real joy in Jesus, that joy is made complete when we see our brothers and sisters sticking with that and sticking in that network of relationships, if you like, between us and those others who believe the truth and with God. Seeing you do that brings me real joy. So if we want to have a true relationship with God, what do we have to do? We might be tempted to try all sorts of different things. You might be tempted to to think, oh, I've got to go on some kind of big journey. I need to have some new experience. I I need to try lots of different spiritual practices. Maybe a living relationship would involve believing new things, things Christians didn't used to believe. But we're being told here, aren't we, that a living relationship means 
believing the word of life. If we want a true relationship with God, keep trusting the true message about Jesus. In a couple of minutes, we're going to take communion. And communion, again, can become a religious word, but it means fellowship. We're going to proclaim Jesus as we, as we take this meal. We're going to proclaim his death on the cross for our sins, which is that message that John and the others taught. We're going to proclaim that in the things we say and in the actions we take as we have a meal together. And isn't that a wonderful picture for us of what the gospel does? A meal, fellowship, togetherness, that as we come and proclaim Jesus dying for us, that is the place where we together have communion, fellowship, and the place where we have fellowship and communion with God. It's all through the truth of Jesus. So whatever other people might say, this is good to come back to, isn't it? That the things we believe are the things that they saw and heard and touched. They didn't make it up. They saw it and they've proclaimed that to us and that we, as we believe that, have fellowship with God. Let's just be quiet for a moment. And why don't we, in that quiet, thank God for this true message and thank God for that relationship we now have. Let's just have a moment of quiet. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you very much for this true message about the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the life that he is and the life that he gives to us. Please help us to believe it and to go on believing it. May we enjoy that true fellowship, true relationship that this brings about. Build us up in that faith so that we too might proclaim Jesus, the word of life. In his name we pray. Amen.